The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. Being an account of their adventures in the strange places of the earth after the foundering of the good ship Glen Carrig through striking upon a hidden rock in the unknown seas to the southward, as told by John Winterstraw, gentleman, to his son James Winterstraw in the year 1757, and by him committed very properly and legibly to manuscript. Chapter 6 The Weed-Choked Sea It was some little while before midday that we grew conscious that the sea had become very much less violent, and this despite the wind roaring with scarce abated noise. And presently, everything about the boat saving the wind, having grown indubitably calmer, and no great water breaking over the canvas, the boatswain beckoned me again to assist him lift the after part of the cover. This we did, and put forth our heads to inquire the reason of the unexpected quietness of the sea, not knowing but that we had come suddenly under the lee of some unknown land. Yet for a space we could see nothing beyond the surrounding billows, for the sea was still very furious, though no matter to cause us concern after that through which we had come. Presently, however, the boatswain, raising himself, saw something, and bending, cried in my ear that there was a low bank which broke the force of the sea, but he was full of wonder to know how that we had passed it without shipwreck, and whilst he was still pondering the matter, I raised myself and took a look on all sides of us, and so I discovered that there lay another great bank upon our larboard side, and this I pointed out to him. Immediately afterwards, we came upon a great mass of seaweed swung up on the crest of a sea, and presently another, and so we drifted on, and the seas grew less with astonishing rapidity, so that, in a little, we stripped off the cover so far as the midship thwart, for the rest of the men were sorely in need of the fresh air after so long a time below the canvas covering. It was after we had eaten that one of them made out that there was another low bank astern upon which we were drifting. At that, the boatswain stood up and made an examination of it, being much exercised in his mind to know how we might come clear of it with safety. Presently, however, we had come so near to it that we discovered it to be composed of seaweed, and so we let the boat drive upon it, making no doubt but that the other banks which we had seen were of a similar nature.
In a little, we had driven in among the weed, yet though our speed was greatly slowed, we made some progress, and so in time came out upon the other side, and now we found the sea to be near quiet, so that we hauled in our sea anchor, which had collected a great mass of weed about it, and removed the whaleback and canvas coverings, after which we stepped the mast and set a tiny storm foresail upon the boat, for we wished to have her under control, and could set no more than this because of the violence of the breeze. Thus we drove on before the wind, the bosun steering, and avoiding all such banks as showed ahead, and ever the sea grew calmer. Then, when it was near on to evening, we discovered a huge stretch of the weed that seemed to block all the sea ahead, and at that we hauled down the foresail, and took to our oars, and began to pull, broadside onto it, towards the west. Yet so strong was the breeze, that we were being driven down rapidly upon it, and then, just before sunset, we opened out the end of it, and drew in our oars, very thankful to set the little foresail, and run off again before the wind. And so, presently, the night came down upon us, and the boatswain made us take turn and turn about to keep a lookout, for the boat was going some knots through the water, and we were among strange seas, but he took no sleep at all that night, keeping always to the steering oar. I have memory, during my time of watching, of passing odd floating masses, which I make no doubt were weed, and once we drove right atop of one, but drew clear without much trouble, and all the while, through the dark to starboard, I could make out the dim outline of that enormous weed extent lying low upon the sea, and seeming without end. And so, presently, my time to watch being at an end, I returned to my slumber, and when next I waked, it was morning. Now the morning discovered to me that there was no end of the weed upon our starboard side, for it stretched away into the distance ahead of us so far as we could see, while all about us the sea was full of floating masses of the stuff. And then, suddenly, one of the men cried out that there was a vessel in among the weed. At that, as may be imagined, we were very greatly excited, and stood upon the thwarts that we might get better view of her. Thus I saw her a great way in from the edge of the weed, and I noted that her foremast was gone near to the deck, and she had no main topmast, though strangely enough her mizzen stood unharmed. And beyond this I could make out but little, because of the distance, though the sun, which was upon our larboard side, gave me some sight of her hull, but not much, because of the weed in which she was deeply embedded. Yet it seemed to me that her sides were very weather-worn, and in one place some glistening brown object, which may have been a fungus, caught the rays of the sun, sending off a wet sheen. There we stood, all of us, upon the thwarts, staring and exchanging opinions, and were like to have overset the boat, but that the boatswain ordered us down, 
and after this we made our breakfast and had much discussion regarding the stranger as we ate. Later, towards midday, we were able to set our mizzen, for the storm had greatly modified, and so, presently, we hauled away up to the west to escape a great bank of the weed, which ran out from the main body. Upon rounding this, we let the boat off again, and set the main lug, and thus made very good speed before the wind. Yet though we ran all that afternoon parallel with the weed to starboard, we came not to its end and three separate times we saw the hulks of rotting vessels, some of them having the appearance of a previous age, so ancient did they seem. Now, towards evening, the wind dropped to a very little breeze, so that we made but slow way, and thus we had better chance to study the weed. And now we saw that it was full of crabs, though for the most part so very minute as to escape the casual glance. Yet they were not all small, for in a while I discovered a swaying among the reed, a little way in from the edge, and immediately I saw the mandible of a very great crab stir amid the weed. At that, hoping to obtain it for food, I pointed it out to the bosun, suggesting that we should try and capture it. And so, there being by now scarce any wind, he bade us get out a couple of the oars and back the boat up to the weed. This we did, after which he made fast a piece of salt meat to a bit of spun yarn, and bent this onto the boat hook. Then he made a running bowline and slipped the loop onto the shaft of the boat hook, after which he held out the boat hook, after the fashion of a fishing rod, over the place where I had seen the crab. Almost immediately there swept up an enormous claw and grasped the meat, and at that the bosun cried out to me to take an oar and slide the bowline along the boat hook so that it should fall over the claw, and this I did, and immediately some of us hauled upon the line, tautening it about the great claw. Then the bosun sung out to us to haul the crab aboard that we had it most securely, yet on the instant we had reason to wish that we had been less successful. For the creature, feeling the tug of our pull upon it, tossed the weed in all directions, and thus we had full sight of it, and discovered it to be so great a crab, as is scarce conceivable, a very monster. And further it was apparent to us that the brute had no fear of us, nor intention to escape, but rather made to come at us, whereat the bosun, perceiving our danger, cut the line, and bade us put weight upon the oars, and so in a moment we were in safety and very determined to have no more meddlings with such creatures. Presently the night came upon us, and the wind remaining low, there was everywhere about us a great stillness, most solemn after the continuous roaring of the storm which had beset us in the previous days. Yet now and again a little wind would rise and blow across the sea and where it met the weed there would come a low, damp rustling, so that I could hear the passage of it for no little time after the calm had come once more all about us. Now it is a strange thing that I, who had slept amid the noise of the past days, should find sleeplessness amid so much calm. Yet so it was, and presently I took the steering oar, proposing that the rest should sleep, and to this the bosun agreed, first warning me, however, most particularly to have care that I kept the boat off the weed, 
for we had still a little way on us, and further to call him should anything unforeseen occur. And after that, almost immediately, he fell asleep, as indeed did the most of the men. From the time that I relieved the bosun until midnight, I sat upon the gunwale of the boat with the steering oar under my arm and watched and listened, most full of a sense of the strangeness of the seas into which we had come. It is true that I had heard tell of seas choked up with weed, seas that were full of stagnation, having no tides, but I had not thought to come upon such a one in my wanderings, having indeed set down such tales as being bred of imagination and without reality, in fact. Then, a little before the dawn, and when the sea was yet full of darkness, I was greatly startled to hear a prodigious splash amid the weed, mayhaps at a distance of some hundred yards from the boat. Then, as I stood full of alertness, and knowing not what the next moment might bring forth, there came to me across the immense waste of weed a long, mournful cry, and then again the silence. Yet, though I kept very quiet, there came no further sound, and I was about to reseat myself when far off in that strange wilderness there flashed out a sudden flame of fire. Now, upon seeing fire in the midst of so much lonesomeness, I was as one amazed and could do naught but stare. Then my judgment returning to me, I stooped and waked the boatswain, for it seemed to me that this was a matter for his attention. He, after staring at it a while, declared that he could see the shape of a vessel's hull beyond the flame, but immediately he was in doubt, as indeed I had been all the while. And then, even as we peered, the light vanished, and though we waited for the space of some minutes, watching steadfastly, there came no further sight of that strange illumination. From now until the dawn, the boatswain remained awake with me, and we talked much upon that which we had seen, yet could come to no satisfactory conclusion, for it seemed impossible to us that a place of so much desolation could contain any living being. And then, just as the dawn was upon us, there loomed up a fresh wonder, the hull of a great vessel, maybe a couple or three score fathoms in from the edge of the weed. Now, the wind was still very light, being no more than an occasional breath, so that we went past her at a drift. Thus the dawn had strengthened sufficiently to give to us a clear light of the stranger, before we had gone more than a little past her. And now I perceived that she lay full broadside onto us, and that her three masts were gone close down to the deck. Her side was streaked in places with rust, and in others a green scum overspread her. But it was no more than a glance that I gave at any of those matters, for I had spied something which drew all my attention. Great leathery arms splayed all across her side, some of them crooked inboard over the rail, and then low down, seen just above the weed, the huge brown glistening bulk of so great a monster as ever I had conceived. The boatswain saw it in the same instant and cried out in a hoarse whisper that it was a mighty devil fish. And then, even as he spoke, two of the arms flickered up into the cold light of dawn, as though the creature had been asleep, and we had waked it. At that, the boatswain seized an oar, and I did likewise, and so swiftly as we dared, 
For fear of making any unneedful noise, we pulled the boat to a safer distance. From there, and until the vessel had become indistinct by reason of the space we put between us, we watched that great creature clutched to the old hull, as it might be a limpet to a rock. Presently, when it was broad day, some of the men began to rouse up, and in a little we broke our fast, which was not displeasing to me, who had spent the night watching. And so through the day we sailed with a very light wind upon our larboard quarter, and all the while we kept the great waste of weed upon our starboard side, and apart from the mainland of the weed as it were, there were scattered about an uncountable number of weed islets and banks, and there were thin patches of it that appeared scarce above the water, and through these later we let the boat sail, for they had not sufficient density to impede our progress more than a little. And then, when the day was far spent, we came in sight of another wreck amid the weeds. She lay in from the edge perhaps so much as the half of a mile, and she had all three of her lower masts in and her lower yards squared. But what took our eyes more than aught else was a great superstructure which had been built upward from her rails almost halfway to her main tops. And this, as we were able to perceive, was supported by ropes let down from the yards. But of what material the superstructure was composed, I have no knowledge, for it was so overgrown with some form of green stuff, as was so much of the hull as showed above the weed, as to defy our guesses. And because of this growth, it was borne upon us that the ship must have been lost to the world a very great age ago. At this suggestion, I grew full of solemn thought, for it seemed to me that we had come upon the cemetery of the oceans. Now, in a little while, after we had passed this ancient craft, the night came down upon us, and we prepared to sleep. And because the boat was making some little way through the water, the boatswain gave out that each of us should stand our turn at the steering oar, and that he was to be called should any fresh matter transpire. And so we settled down for the night, and owing to my previous sleeplessness, I was full weary, so that I knew nothing until the one whom I was to relieve shook me into wakefulness. So soon as I was fully waked, I perceived that a low moon hung above the horizon and shed a very ghostly light across the great weed world to starboard. For the rest, the night was exceeding quiet, so that no sound came to me in all that ocean, save the rippling of the water upon our bends as the boat forged slowly along. And so I settled down to pass the time ere I should be allowed to sleep, but first I asked the man whom I had relieved how long a time had passed since moonrise, to which he replied that it was no more than the half of an hour, and after that I questioned whether he had seen aught strange amid the weed during his time at the oar. But he had seen nothing, except that once he had fancied a light had shone in the midst of the waste. Yet it could have been naught save a humor of the imagination, though apart from this he had heard a strange crying a little after midnight and twice there had been great splashes among the weed, and after that he fell asleep, being impatient at my questioning.
now it so chanced that my watch had come just before the dawn, for which I was full of thankfulness, being in that frame of mind when the dark breeds strange and unwholesome fancies. Yet though I was so near to the dawn, I was not to escape free of the eerie influence of that place. For as I sat, running my gaze to and fro over its gray immensity, it came to me that there were strange movements among the weed, and I seemed to see vaguely, as one may see things in dreams. Dim white faces peer out at me here and there, yet my common sense assured me that I was but deceived by the uncertain light and the sleep in my eyes. Yet for all that, it put my nerves on the quiver. A little later, there came to my ears the noise of a very great splash amid the weed. But though I stared with intentness, I could nowhere discern aught as likely to be the cause thereof. And then suddenly, between me and the moon, there drove up from out of that great waste a vast bulk, flinging huge masses of weed in all directions. It seemed to be no more than a hundred fathoms distant, and against the moon I saw the outline of it most clearly, a mighty devil fish. Then it had fallen back once more with a prodigious splash, and so the quiet fell again, finding me sore afraid, and no little bewildered that so monstrous a creature could leap with such agility. And then, in my fright I had let the boat come near to the edge of the weed, there came a subtle stir opposite to our starboard bow, and something slid down into the water. I swayed upon the oar to turn the boat's head outward, and with the same movement leant forward and sideways to peer, bringing my face near to the boat's rail. In the same instant I found myself looking down into a white, demoniac face, human save that the mouth and nose had greatly the appearance of a beak. The thing was gripping at the side of the boat with two flickering hands, gripping the bare, smooth outer surface in a way that woke in my mind a sudden memory of the great devilfish which had clung to the side of the wreck we had passed in the previous dawn. I saw the face come up towards me, and one misshapen hand fluttered almost to my throat, and there came a sudden hateful reek in my nostrils, foul and abominable. Then I came into possession of my faculties and drew back with great haste and a wild cry of fear. And then I had the steering oar by the middle and was smiting downward with the loom over the side of the boat, but the thing was gone from my sight. I remember shouting out to the bosun and to the men to awake, and then the bosun had me by the shoulder, was calling in my ear to know what dire thing had come about. At that I cried out that I did not know, and presently, being somewhat calmer, I told them of the thing that I had seen, but even as I told of it, there seemed to be no truth in it, so that they were all at a loss to know whether I had fallen asleep or that I had indeed seen a devil. Presently, the dawn was upon us.
You've been listening to The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson, read by Paul R. Potts. This audio recording is made available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 2.5 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. Links for the project can be found at thepotshouse.org. Music for Chapter 6 is by Aidan Baker from the album 24.2.24.4. This work is available from darkwinter.com. Sound effects are taken from the album Thaw, Field Recordings from Minnesota, available at wanderingear.com.